On behalf of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I would like to welcome you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8. If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. It is my honor and privilege to be with you this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there is a black one in front of you in the pew, and you will find Luke chapter 8 on page 866. If you're not super familiar with how the Bible works, the chapter numbers are the big numbers, the verse numbers are the little numbers, and we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. We're going to pick up at verse 40, and we're going to be working our way down to the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40, working our way down to the end of the chapter. So we're going to finish out Luke 8 this morning, and uh, after we finish out Luke chapter 8, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Luke for a short while. Uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to begin a short series that we're calling What is the Church? So do a short series on what is the church. Uh, I think in the bulletin it says that next week's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You can read Ecclesiastes chapter 1 if you want. But that's not the reading for next Sunday. Uh, that is forthcoming. So Luke chapter 8 is for today. What is the church? is coming next week. After we finish the, the What is the Church series, uh, we're planning to do a, sh- a short series through the Ten Commandments, and then that will lead us into November, where we will um, observe Missions Sunday and Missions Week, and then return to Luke and finish out the year. But today, Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read verse 40 down to the end of the chapter, ask for the Lord's help on our time together. And um, then we will go ahead and get started. should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, and they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him 
except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you now come, move upon your word, and upon the hearts of your people. Prepare the soil of our heart to receive the seed of your word. And by your grace and by your power, may it take root deep within us and bear fruit up to the glory and praise of Jesus and Jesus alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Before he was formed in the womb of his mother, the prophet Jeremiah was chosen by God to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. And part of his training was that the Lord would come to the young prophet and ask him, Jeremiah, what do you see? And the prophet would explain what he saw. And this is the first and primary question that all good students of the Bible should ask anytime we open Holy Scripture. What do you see? The gospel writer Luke has been revealing the God-man, Jesus Christ, to us in this gospel. He opened the chapter before us by showing us that Jesus is the sower of seed. The seed being the Word of God, the seed being sown on the hearts of man and producing the fruit of God's work in their life. Luke shows us that Jesus Christ has power over all of the things which threaten to undo us, showing to us that we need not fear this world with devils filled. What do you see? In Luke 8, you see Jesus sleeping in a boat in a deadly storm, roused by his disciples, rebuking the wind and the waves, showing that he has authority over nature itself. And the disciples fear. You see Jesus in the country of the Gerasenes, met by a man who is oppressed by, possessed by, and tortured by demons. The Lord commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, and it did, showing that he has authority over the forces of darkness and the people fear. And here in the passage before us, we see Jesus approached by a desperate daddy. We see him raising the dead. We see, we see him proving that he has authority over death itself. Here we see Jesus approached by a desperate daughter who's delivered from her affliction, showing that he has the power over disease. 
what do we see? We see dangers, devils, death, and disease. Surrendering to, submitting to, yielding to, and relenting to this man. He, and he alone, has authority over all the afflictions of the children of man. Over all the things which we cannot control, the things which cause us fear, this man, this man alone has authority to command this far and no more. And therefore, with him, with him, we need not fear, only believe. Here's the big idea driving the message this morning. Jesus Christ has authority over death and disease. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus Christ has authority over death and disease. Do not fear, only believe. So we'll get to work. What do we see? What we see is a desperate dad falling at Jesus' feet. A desperate dad falling at Jesus' feet. This is verses 40 to 42. Uh, let's read it again. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. How different Jesus' reception here than from last week. If you remember from last week, when the Lord delivered the demoniac, the people in that region begged him to leave. And these two scenes could hardly be more different. The one, the land inhabited by Gentiles, non-Jews, pig farmers, and a demoniac lives among them. And Jesus is told to leave. Here, it's the Holy Land where, where the Jews live. And Jesus is welcomed here. And the people are waiting for him. And two people meet him who are desperate for him. But no matter how different these two settings are, the same is true of both places. The effects of the fall, the consequences of mankind's rebellion against God is seen and felt everywhere. Jesus, we're told, is met by a man named Jairus. And Luke tells us that this man is a ruler of the synagogue. Now, you probably know the synagogue was the place of worship of Yahweh in, in the city and in, in the surrounding region. And Jairus is the leader of the synagogue, which means that he oversaw the worship of Yahweh in the synagogue. He would make sure that the building was maintained, that it was secure. He would procure scrolls for scripture reading. He would assign readings to certain people and assign prayers to other people, and he would assign the preaching of the Word. So Jairus is an important man, and here we see that he is a desperate man. And here this important man is brought to his knees. And you read the occasion. His only daughter, who's about 12 years of age, is dying. And so he falls at Jesus' feet. This is a desperate daddy. Perhaps he had heard about Jesus. Maybe he heard about Jesus healing the centurion's servant, which we read about back in chapter 7. 
Perhaps he heard about Jesus raising the widow's son in Cain. Perhaps it was his synagogue where Jesus healed the man with a withered hand. Who knows how he heard about Jesus, but he did hear about Jesus. And either way, this is a desperate daddy who has nowhere to turn except to Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I am a father of two daughters. And so I can resonate with the desperation of this man. One of my daughters happens to be almost 12 years old, and the other happens to almost be in college. And being a father to daughters, many of you know, has to be one of the greatest gifts that God gives to men. I delighted in every single moment of my daughter's lives, from bringing them home from the hospital with their cute little pink caps on, and then playing house with them, sipping air through these tiny little plastic cups, and sitting on those dangerously small chairs with them to dropping them off at school and crying like a baby, not them, me, to watching one of them walk up the stairs in a prom dress. That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So I resonate with this man in his desperation. And I can tell you that if one of my daughters was dying, I would do just about anything to save her defy all social convention, betray my own honor and station, go all John Q and find help for her. So Jairus is a desperate daddy. I mean, how desperate does a man need to be to leave his own house where his daughter is dying to go find help? And that's what he did. He's got to find Jesus. And this was before the days when you could just pull up an app and find someone. So he's asking people, where is Jesus of Nazareth? Tell me. And can you imagine how the man must have felt when he finally found him? And came to him and pleaded with him. This well-respected man of the community falls at the master's feet and implores him, please come to my house. My daughter is dying. Of course he did. Any father would do as much. And to Jairus' great relief, the Lord comes. He agrees to come. So let's keep reading. Because he isn't the only desperate person in the crowd that day. There's a desperate daddy. But there's also a desperate daughter. Let's pick up reading in verse 42, the second half of verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she couldn't be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the only time the miracles of Jesus are weaved together. And there's got to be a reason why Luke 
weaves these two stories together. So, whatever we have to do with this woman and the issue of blood, we need to pay attention to Jarius because he's still there. I mean, this, this poor guy's anxiety must be through the roof. So it'd be like you calling 911 in an emergency and the ambulance come and your little girl and you are in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and you get stuck in traffic. But not only that, the ambulance diverts away to go pick up somebody with a non-life-threatening injury. And I'm sure this man, this ruler of the synagogue, was compassionate enough about this woman. Like... I get it, sis. You're in trouble. But she ain't going to die. Like, you've had this for 12 years. What's another couple of hours? Jesus can come back. And Jesus stops. And he doesn't need to. Everything that takes place from verse 45 to 48 doesn't need to happen. She's already healed. She touched his garment and she was immediately healed. Jesus could have just winked at her and went on his way. But he didn't. He stopped. There has to be a reason. No one to the woman. Luke tells us that she has a discharge of blood which has went on for 12 years. Now, this could have been a wound that didn't heal. But the language seems to indicate that this is, this is a feminine issue, which puts it into a completely different category for her. Because under the Levitical laws of the day, which governed worship and society in Israel, a woman with a discharge of blood beyond her normal cycle would have been kept from worship in the temple. Leviticus chapter 15 tells us that she would have been considered unclean, meaning unfit for worship in the temple. And beyond this, everything that she touched as an unclean woman with a discharge of blood becomes unclean. Everything she touched, everyone she touched. Her condition is tragic and isolating and embarrassing, and it went on for 12 years. And Luke says she spent all of her living on physicians and could not be healed. Mark's gospel adds that she suffered much under their treatment. And so the only thing these doctors took away from her was her money. But her condition remained. This is a desperate woman. Hopeless she must have felt. How she must have thought, like, is this, is this my life? How many times do you think she prayed the Lord deliver her and heal her? Twelve years. So back to our question, why is Luke weaving these two stories together? 
I think, at least for one reason, Luke wants us to compare and to contrast these two people. These two desperate people, compared and contrasted. One is a man, the other is a woman. One is named, the other is unnamed. One is rich, the other is bankrupt. One is respected, the other is rejected. One is clean, one is unclean. One is honored, the other is shamed. One leads the synagogue, the other is shut out of the synagogue. One came to Jesus publicly, the other came to Jesus privately, secretly. One has a 12-year-old daughter, the other has a 12-year-old disease. So the one had 12 years of delights followed by sudden desperation. Whereas the other had 12 years of desperation, followed by sudden delight. The living Jesus touched the dead girl. The dying woman touched the living Jesus. Both, both are in desperate need. And both fall before Jesus. And both find an answer at the feet of Jesus. Verse 44 says that the woman came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. There's a few things about that. You'll remember from previous sections in the Gospel of Luke that Levitical law taught that the unclean person, when they touch the clean thing, their uncleanness latches onto the clean thing, and the clean thing becomes unclean, unfit for worship in, in the temple. And we've been told that the throngs are surrounding and pressing in on Jesus. There's people all around him. Which means that this poor woman was weaving her way through the crowd, doing the things she must not do, but she is desperate. She needs to get to her Savior, and she comes up behind him. And even that little detail of having to come up behind Jesus gives us even more of a picture of the way she must have felt. How many years did she feel like God's back was turned toward her? Twelve years I've prayed that he would heal me and, and heaven is silent. That God has turned his back on me. I can't even go to the temple and worship him. I must look on from afar. And I just wonder how many here feel like this. Feeling like God's back has been turned to you and your condition. And if you feel that way, dear one, Follow your sister in Luke 8 and press through the obstacles, press through the crowds, and with the arm of faith, take hold of the master. She touches the fringe of his garment. 
In the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 15, God commanded Jews, and Jesus was a Jew, God commanded Jews to wear tassels on the corners of their garments. And as God commanded, these were meant to be reminders of God's commandments. They were to look at the tassels and remember, I don't follow my heart, I follow my God's commands. Why would this woman press through this crowd to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment? Why not grab his feet? And by the way, she's not the only one in the Bible that does this. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 36, we're told lots of people came to Jesus to touch the fringe of his garment. We're told in Matthew's gospel, everyone who touched the fringe of his garment was healed. So what's the deal? Well, it seems, it seems that these people looking for the fringe of the garment and this woman grabbing a hold of the fringe of Jesus' garment were trusting in God's promises in His Word. You see, because long before Jesus Christ came into the world, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, the prophet Malachi foretold that the Messiah would come. The Son of Righteousness would come with healing in His wings is the language of Malachi. And the Hebrew word for wings is the same word for the tassels on the corners of their garments, translated in the New Testament as the fringe. And so it seems that this woman, believing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of Righteousness, who came with healing in His wings, she pressed through the crowd and with her unclean hands took hold of the fringe of His garment, His wings, and she was healed. She believed in God's Word. She believed in God's Son, and she was healed. Luke says, immediately her discharge of blood ceased. The unclean instantly made clean at first contact with the Christ. And Jesus stopped. <laughs> oh, Jairus must be pulling out his hair at this point. Who touched me? Jesus says. And everyone's afraid to admit it. They're all just standing around me like, I, I didn't touch him. And Peter's like, everybody touched you. We all touched you. But you have to understand that when Jesus Christ asks questions, it's not because He's gathering data or information. The Bible teaches that Jesus didn't need to gather data. He already had all the data. He knew all things. When Jesus asks questions, it's for others. It's to draw them out. Who touched me? He knew who touched him. The power of God through Jesus is never impersonal. It's not unconscious. It's not magic. Jesus' healing is always personal. Someone touched me. For I perceive power has gone out for me. Jesus knew who she was. And she may have been ashamed of her disease. But he wasn't ashamed of her disease. And by stopping this crowd and saying, who touched me? 
He's saying to her, come here, sweetheart. Come here, baby doll. His back no longer turned. Now he faces her. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, She's not hidden anymore. Her affliction isn't hidden anymore. He sees her. She came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Friends, you do not need to hide your afflictions. Your need for your Savior is your Savior's favorite thing about you. Now, why would you hide the thing he loves most about you? Many of you have been Christians for a long time. So you've all been a part of prayer meetings or small groups where we go around and we do that uncomfortable, annoying thing Christians do. And we say, how can we pray for you? And I know if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've been tempted, as I have, to just lie, really. Pray for me, brothers. I love Jesus too much. It's really hard. Tempted to hide our doubts and our despondencies and our addictions and lie about the double life that we live. Because we are afraid that people might judge us. Maybe they will. But this woman, the Lord called her out. Who touched me? And she confessed. She admitted, it was me. I touched you. And in doing so, she testified to his grace in her life. And here's what you need to see. Here's what you need to see in Luke 8 about this woman. She's unnamed. She's ashamed of the affliction and condition she has. She's alone. She brings nothing to Jesus. She offers nothing to Jesus. She spent everything she had to fix her condition, and no one in the world can help her. The wisdom of man was of no help to her. She suffered much, and nothing helped. And this woman turned to Jesus Christ, believing God to be faithful to his word, that his Messiah would heal her disease. And she took hold of him by faith, and she was healed. Here's what you need to see, Cornerstone Pickle Baptist Church. This woman is us. She is you and me. While we may not suffer the same affliction, we are afflicted with suffering all the same. That our sin, our high-handed rebellion against our Creator, our treason against the King of Heaven, 
has severed us from his presence in the very same way that her condition severed her from worship in the temple. And we are sinners without hope, without God in this world, unclean, unfit for worship in God's holy presence. And like our sister here, we must come to Jesus on hands and knees if we must. And we must take hold of him by faith to be cleansed and to be healed. Great fear kept her from facing him in a crowd, but her desperate condition overcame that fear. And with great faith, she took hold of her great Savior. And so all of us must see our desperate need for Christ and overcome our great fear and take hold of him by faith. And Jesus called her out and she came to him trembling, falling before him, declaring to everyone why she came to Jesus and how Jesus healed her. Don't you just love this? Seconds into her healing, and she's an evangelist. This is why I came to Jesus. This is what he did for me. Some of us really struggle to share our faith with non-Christians. I understand. I do. You're afraid of what to say. Like, who am I? You just do what this woman did. Tell them why you came to Jesus and tell them what Jesus did when you did. That's all you have to do. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You know, this is the only time in the whole Bible that Jesus calls a woman daughter. It's a tender word. It's a familial word. It's a, it's a precious word. There's not a hint of rebuke. There's not a hint of harshness here. You know, some commentators will say that, you know, they want to be hard on this woman because of the way in which she approached Jesus. I don't know. Jesus doesn't seem to be that way. He called her out, sweetheart, come here. Daughter. You're my girl. I got you. Why do you suppose Jesus addresses her as daughter when he did that to no one else? I think there are probably two reasons. The first is the most obvious one. He wants to assure her of his love for her. You're my girl. But I think it's also because Jairus is still there. He's still listening. And his daughter is dying. And he's about to hear news that she's dead. And I think the Lord speaks to Jairus through her. saying, look, I take care of my daughters. I'm going to take care of yours. 
only believe. He tells her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. God's grace, apprehended by faith, made her well, made her clean, saved her. And she goes in peace. This is what faith is. We feel the effects of our sin. We recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and we take hold of Him by faith. And the result of this is peace. A life of peace. Everlasting peace. If you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here, but you need to understand that this woman represents your condition. Your sin has separated you from your Creator, and your decision to live your life your way is a rebellion against Him. This has stripped you of the peace that you could have with God. Truth be told, the very peace of the depth of your soul is compromised. And should you continue in your rebellion against Him, it will end in eternal destruction. And friend, I would plead with you, turn to Jesus Christ today. God sent him into the world to save sinners from their sin. He died on the cross. God raised him from the dead on the third day to secure eternal life for all who turn to him in faith. Would you have peace? The peace that Jesus promised to this woman, would you have that peace? Turn to Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins and you will be saved. As soon as the service is over here today, find someone who looks like a regular, tap them on the shoulder and ask them to pray for you. We'll give you some resources to begin helping you to walk in this life of everlasting peace. Let's keep reading. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, don't weep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called and said, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So we're back to Jairus and his daughter, and the report comes that she's dead. And this must have been the most hopeless news of all. 
Notice what they say. Don't even bother the teacher anymore. He can't do anything. Don't even bother him anymore. He might be able to heal people, but nobody raises the dead. Come home, Jairus. It's time to plan a funeral. And I like how Luke describes in verse 50 what Jesus does. He hears them, but he answers him. That's Jairus. He didn't need to say anything. Jesus knew his heart. He could tell that fear and doubt were swelling at the news. And so he says, do not fear. Only believe. Do not fear. What do you see in Luke 8? You see fear. A whole bunch, don't you? Fear, fear, fear. All over Luke 8. The disciples, afraid of the storm. Then the disciples, really afraid of the one who calmed the storm. Fear is all around the demoniac. Remember, he's naked and super strong and lives in a cemetery. Fear. Then fear happens when Jesus casts out the demon. The woman is afraid to come to Jesus. Then she's afraid when she gets outed by Jesus. Jairus is afraid to... He's told, do not be afraid. We fear the things we cannot control. We want health, but we can't control health. We eat kale and organic and non-GMO, and we still get sick. We do all the right things. We can't control the weather. One year we have no rain and the crops die because of drought. The next year we have too much rain and it floods. There's danger, there's devils, there's death, and there's disease. And it's this world with its devils filled, threatening to undo us. And Luke is showing us here, we need not fear. For God has willed this truth to triumph through us. That Jesus Christ has authority over the dangers and the devils and the death and disease. And so we do not fear. We only believe. And all will be well. And Jesus is telling Jairus, Son, you need to believe in me more than any report you hear from anyone. So they get to his house. Jesus takes mom and dad, Peter, James, John into the house. Everyone's crying. Jesus says, stop crying. I got this. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. They all laugh at him. It's amazing how like their unbelief goes from weeping to laughing. They knew she was dead. What they didn't know is who was going to call her to life. Verse 54, by taking her by the hand, he called It's the same word used up in verse 8, Pastor Matt taught us about. It's a call of command. He says to the little girl, child, arise. You see, when God the Son commands the dead to rise, they rise. When Jesus rebuked the storm, there was no resistance from creation. When Jesus commanded the demons to flee, there was no arguing with him. Because when the Son of God commands creation, yields to Him. And so when Jesus calls the dead, they come. Death itself goes and comes at His command. 
Verse 55, his, her spirit re-enters her body in obedience to its maker. And she got up at once. Immediately, the woman's issue with blood ceased. Immediately, the young girl stood up. And don't you love that Jesus is like, somebody get her something to eat. Poor thing was probably sick before she died. She hadn't eaten in a couple of days. Get her something. Get her favorite food. Somebody make mac and cheese with beanie weenies. Get her some ice cream. And her parents are amazed. And he charges them to keep, the, keep this to your... You guys, keep this on the DL. I know there's all these people outside weeping. And they're going to be real confused when they look through the window and they see this little girl having her beanie weenies. But don't tell them about it. And Jerry's is like, funeral's over, boys. Can't tell you why. I'm going to Disney World with my family. Here's the point. Jesus Christ has authority over dangers and devils and death and disease. And we need not fear, but only believe. That what God has said he would do, he will do. And that when this world with its devils filled will threaten to undo us with its godless report, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't you believe it for a second. You believe what God has written. That he will do what he said he will do. You bring your fears, you bring your anxieties to the risen Lord Jesus Christ and you lay them at his feet and you trust him to take care of this matter as he always has and as he always will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess to you that we have been quite like Jairus in Luke 8, fearing the hellish report from a world gone sideways. And when things don't go our way, Lord, we often fall into despair. When our prognosis is unfavorable, we fear. When our children drift far from you, we fear. When our prayers go unanswered, we fear. But Father, we know that your power is infinite and that your wisdom is infallible and that you order the universe in the way that you do. And none can and none will thwart your plan. And that you are not slow in keeping your promise. Not to any one of us. So we ask, Lord, this morning that you would give us faith and strengthen our hearts. Keep us from unbelief. Turn to us, Lord, and show us your face, which is always turned toward your people. We are entirely dependent upon you for strength, for support, for counsel. Hold us by your strong hand and grant that we would abound in the work of the Lord that you've given us to do, to follow Christ and to tell all why we came to him and how he fixed us. In Jesus' name we pray and for Jesus' praise, amen. If you would please stand to your feet. Your assurance of pardon this morning comes from Micah chapter 7, verse 19. For those of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, here is an unshakable promise the Lord has given to you. Micah 7, 19, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Please lead us in our closing song.